0: this morning's sermon will be the the third and final sermon in a series of sermons on prayer. The goal of this series has been to encourage us as individual Christians, but also as a local church, to pray not only more frequently. That's that's always a good thing. We want to be praying more often, be led by the Spirit. And as we we read God's Word, we, we are brought to pray. So not only more frequently is the goal, but more biblically, and we've been, been doing this by looking to the Lord's Prayer as a guide and a model for prayer. This sermon will focus on Matthew 6, 6 13, which is the, the sixth and the final petition in the Lord's Prayer. But I want to read the entire prayer starting in verse 9. So if you haven't already, please take out your Bible or the Pew Bible and turn to Matthew 6, verse 9. I'll be reading on to verse 13. In the Pew Bible, you can find this on page Eight eleven, and as you open your Bible or smartphone and app or whatever you're using to to read God's word, uh, I, I want to invite you to something that we're starting with the ending of this series. First, I wanted us to to teach on prayer and to and to have a a clear picture of, of what prayer should be like. And then I wanted us to start something that we've, we've done periodically throughout the life of this church, but, but to restart it. And that's a, a Wednesday morning prayer meeting. So I, we've had different prayer meetings at different times. So for the, the month of August, for five Wednesdays, we're going to be meeting here at the church in the commons. And we're going to be from 645 to 730. So those of you who need to leave, you know, hopefully that gives you enough time. Or if you need to leave a little bit earlier, you can to get to work. But we'll be meeting to pray, and we'll be using the Lord's Prayer as an outline. So we'll start with the first one, our Father in Heaven. And we might pray on on our Father in Heaven. That might lead us to pray for 20 minutes on on whatever the Lord uh, leads us to pray related to our Father in Heaven. And then we move into Hallowed Be Your Name. We might not make it to the third petition this first Wednesday, but we're going to be using the Lord's Prayer as a guide in this prayer meeting. So I invite you to wake up a little bit earlier. I didn't say this in the first service. Uh, but, but you're second service people, so this might even more encourage you to come to this early morning uh, prayer meeting. But I will get here a little early, and we'll, we'll make some coffee. And, uh, and then there'll be a short teaching to, to kind of prime the pump for prayer, and then we'll, we'll pray. Won't be a long teaching. We want to meet to pray more. And then after these five weeks, uh, we'll kind of revisit. This is a pilot prayer meeting. And then uh, we'll see if this time and and this day works. I know that for some it's not going to work, but but we're going to try it on Wednesdays at 6.45. So I invite you, I encourage you, I I don't plead, but I exhort you maybe uh, uh, to, to join us for this prayer meeting. With that, let's get to the text, Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is God's holy and perfect word. May his people hear it, believe it, and obey it. And now let's pray for his help. Our Father in heaven, what a glorious title that, that we've been taught to come to you with. You are, Father in heaven, perfect, glorious, good, holy, loving. We do come to you now, Father, for help. There are so many among us who, who are struggling, who have been faced with great trials, ongoing trials, who have been tempted to, to give in to sin, to, to look outside of Christ for peace and for strength and for joy. Father, I pray that that whatever the trial is, the the temptation, whatever the suffering, Father, that you would use your word, this sermon, to encourage, to strengthen the faith of your people. And that you would show to those who are not yet in Christ, who are not this morning trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, the the hopelessness of of life without Christ. And you would show Jesus to to, to be most glorious and good to them, and that they would trust in him. We mourn with those who are mourning, we grieve with them, and we pray, Father, that you would refresh the hearts of those who are struggling this morning, that are part of this church and and part of your universal church throughout the world, May you strengthen their faith in Christ. Father, we also rejoice with those who are rejoicing, who have been blessed with whatever good gift that you've given them. May they see it as a good gift and praise and, and, and honor you with it. Father, as we think about prayer and our own prayer life, it it is might lead us to, to struggle, even, even to feel a little bit guilty about the, the types of prayers that we're praying. Father, that is not our aim. That is not your aim uh, for us this morning. I pray that you would encourage us, that you would remind us of the goodness of prayer, our need to pray, and how you have taught us to pray. And I pray that you would use this sermon to feed your people, to strengthen them, to lead us to Christ and, and to the promises that we have because of Christ. We pray this all for your glory and our joy. In Jesus' great name, amen. Now it's been said that familiarity breeds contempt, meaning that sometimes the more knowledge, experience, or interaction that we have with someone or something, the more likely it is that we will lose appreciation for or respect for a certain person or thing. Over time, the luster begins to wear off. Our excitement Over a new toy or gadget dissipates. You think about the iPhone that first came out and how that was really neat and everything, and then there's always new iPhones, and what happens to the old iPhone? It gets set aside. Or if you're not an Apple person, you know, the Android, whatever you got, whatever it is, the luster begins to wear off. The mystery that, that may have once intrigued us about a person turns into an annoyance. Why don't they just stop doing that? Yeah, I thought it was neat before, but now it's just annoying. We get used to those things that once drew us to a person or to a place. I think about those people who move to a certain warmer climate. Uh, if this is you or this was you or whatever, and, and then what do they start to do? They never go outside because it's too warm. They start to complain about the heat, and, and they, or maybe they move to where the mountains are, and then they, get it, they, they just find the mountains boring. They want to see something else. Over time, these things happen. Familiarity can breed contempt. Now, I doubt that many Christians would admit that their familiarity with the Lord's Prayer has led to contempt for the Lord's Prayer. The simple fact that this prayer is part of the Bible, part of God's Holy Word, should keep us from saying such things. However, I do believe that for many of us, familiarity with the Lord's Prayer has caused us to to overlook and to not use the Lord's Prayer as an outline for our own prayers. But I hope, as you'll see, I remember when um, boot-cut pants came back in style, kind of bell-bottoms-ish, and uh, how some of the the older people that I knew that saw some of the younger people wearing these types of pants were were jokingly saying that they can now get those pants out of the basement and start wearing them and be cool again, that they just kind of, for whatever reason, kept in the basement. Uh, In a similar fashion, I hope that you'll see that this is not some old raggedy prayer that is useless for you, Christian, but this is a treasure, a diamond, to be used regularly as a guide in prayer. But some of us have heard the Lord's Prayer recited since we can remember by a priest, a pastor, or a congregation in a way that seems mechanical and lifeless. So we associate the Lord's Prayer with dead, dry, and empty religion. Many of us have have recited this prayer so many times while not actually meaning it that it reminds us of the days when we went to church but we were just going through the motions without truly and wholly trusting in Christ and believing the gospel. So we associate it with our life before Christ, at least some of us do. Now it's not a problem when familiarity breeds contempt, causing us to put a once-treasured possession in the basement or leading us to donate it to the church rummage sale. In fact, it can be a really good thing because it reminds us that material possessions will not lead to lasting joy. So, So in that way, I think this is a good thing. But this is a problem if our familiarity causes us to lose our appreciation for and use of something like the Lord's Prayer, which is a prayer that the Lord Jesus himself taught his disciples to pray. Church, this prayer is a helpful, wonderful gift from our Father, it is to be used as an outline for our individual and corporate prayers. I hope that you've already seen these things these past two weeks, at least a little bit, that you've, you've tasted its beauty and seen its usefulness in prayer. But if this is not the case, if you have yet to see the genius and the benefit of the Lord's Prayer, my hope is that God uses our time this morning on this final petition, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, to increase your appreciation for and your use of the Lord's Prayer. So in a sense, I have one more shot to convince you that this is a prayer to be used in your prayers and our prayers as a a church. See, this is another tool and guide, this prayer, for us, that can help us pray rich, God-centered, Christ-exalting prayers. And as Christians, that's the type of prayer that we want to be praying. Rich, God-centered, biblical prayers that are informed, not most of all by our emotions, but most of all by by the scriptures. After the opening address, our Father in Heaven, the the first three petitions, if you remember, have to do with God. God's name, God's rule, and God's will. And then the next three petitions, the focus shifts to our needs as the people of God. The fourth and the fifth, which Matt Jantz covered in last week's sermon, are, are prayers for God to provide for our physical needs. Give us this day our daily bread. And for our spiritual needs, forgive us our debts or our sins as, as we also have forgiven our debtors or those who have sinned against us. This sixth petition, lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil, is a plea for our Father in heaven to protect us. It's a plea for spiritual protection. Now it seems like a, a pretty straightforward prayer request. This is not one of those that, that, that we might read in, in the, the prayer list that goes out on, on Mondays to to those of us who are on the prayer list and say, what are they talking about? I mean, this this seems like a pretty straightforward prayer request. But as we look closer at at one word in particular, there are some things that we need to consider and understand if we're going to pray this prayer rightly. And the word that I want to draw your attention to is the word temptation. Now, temptation typically in English, has a, a negative undertone, especially when, it bec- when it, it's related to being a Christian, a Christian who desires to obey Christ and to pursue holiness, to pursue joy in Jesus, to become more like Christ. To give in to temptation is to sin, at least in, in most use of the word. But the Greek word pyrosmos, translated here as temptation, is a neutral word that can have a good or a bad connotation. Depending on the context, it can refer to experiencing a temptation or to experiencing a trial. And here's why this matters. I'm not just trying to give you some, some brief Greek lesson or Im- impress you with my very limited Greek abilities. That's not my goal here. Here's why this matters. James 1, 13 through 15 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Church, because God is completely holy and entirely good, he does not, he will not, and he cannot tempt anyone. It goes against his own nature, who God is. Furthermore, If you remember, the Lord's Prayer reminds us that God is, how does it start? Our Father in heaven. Having adopted us through the finished work of Jesus Christ, who was born, who lived, who died, and was raised from the dead for the forgiveness of our sins and to bring us into the family of God, God would never put us, his children, into a situation with the goal of getting us to sin. God's not planning and scheming ways that he can get you and I to sin. Look, I cornered them. Oh, they're going to fail here. That's that's not his goal. Sin has terrible consequences. We see this and we feel this every day. Some days we, we feel it even more than others. Sin leads to pain, to heartache, to suffering, and ultimately, as James reminds us and other passages remind us in Scripture, it ultimately leads to death. God does not tempt us. James 1.14 says, It is our desire, that is our not yet fully sanctified, yet to become like Christ's heart heart. What in other places in the Bible is called the flesh is what tempts us. And not only are we tempted by the flesh, the Bible tells us that Satan tempts us. It's the devil who seeks to lead us away from trusting God and into sin through deception and through lies. In John 8.44 Jesus describes the devil as a murderer from the beginning who does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And then Jesus goes on to say that when Satan lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. In Mark 1, where we are told about Jesus' temptation, we read this, the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. That's, That's after his baptism. The Spirit of God led the Son of God out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted, not by God, but by Satan. God the Father didn't tempt God the Son. It was Satan who tempted Jesus and seeks to tempt us, his people. This is also seen in passages like 1 Corinthians 7, 5, where Paul counsels husbands and wives not to deprive one another so that Satan may not tempt them because of their lack of self-control. Satan is the tempter. Brothers and sisters, since our Father in heaven does not lead us into temptation, we might ask this. Then, what is the sense of asking God in prayer that he not lead us into temptation if, according to his word, God tempts no one? Now, some have have answered this question by saying that the word translated here as temptation would be better translated with the other word that this Greek word can refer to testing. Because though God does not tempt us, he does test us. So the prayer would be, lead us not into testing, but deliver us from evil. Now that's an acceptable answer. I don't think it's right. Because if we look earlier in the book of James, chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, we read, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So here James connects joy with trials and and how God uses them to, to strengthen our faith. He tells us, believer, that there is joy to be found in trials and tests because that's what they bring about. Our faith is strengthened by God through them. We find the same truth concerning the connection between joy and trials and testing in 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. In this you rejoice. You find joy. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's not enough for Peter. He makes basically the same point later on in chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. There he writes, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Can you imagine Peter saying, Pray it away. Pray away the test. Just get rid of it. That, that, that doesn't line up with 1 Peter 4. He goes on to write in verse 13, But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Church, Though God does not tempt us, he does use trials and testing to increase our joy in God, to sanctify us, that is to make us more like Jesus. He he uses them to strengthen our faith in Christ and he uses them to bring himself glory. Think about this. When, when the Christian is struggling, when they're facing a great test, when they're tempted but they don't succumb to sin, what does that display to the world? As we cling to Christ and, and God holds us through that test or that, that trial or that temptation, what does it say to the world? Jesus is amazing. Christ is glorious, Christ is good. I, I don't have him, I need him. They have someone that I don't have and I need him because I cannot make it through what they're making, it making it through right now because they have Jesus. That's the type of thing that brings God glory as we cling to him through the test and the temptation and he brings us through it. It strengthens our faith because it removes things that we might be trusting in. It, it helps us to see that what we most need is Jesus not the promotion, not, not the retirement fund, not the, the, the car, not the boat, not the whatever it might be. It causes us to run to Christ and to enjoy him more than anything else and it brings God glory. Why would we pray that away? So if Jesus is not teaching us to pray that God will not tempt us because he doesn't and if he's not teaching us to pray that God does not test us because he will for our good and for his own glory, then what are we praying When we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. When we pray this prayer and prayers like it, we are praying that God would not allow us to succumb to temptation and that He would rescue us from evil, which includes the fallen world, our own sinful desires, and the devil. The word deliver here can also be translated as snatch. It's an active word. One commentator describes it as an aggressive word. When we pray, these types of prayers, were asking God, who has all power and authority. Remember the beginning, the first, the, the first three petitions. Our Father in heaven, uh, alluding to his complete dominion and authority over all things. Then hallowed be your name. May your name be holy, because it is. Your kingdom come, and it will. Your will be done. It will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This picture of the, the total reign and rule of our triune God. Is there. And when we pray prayers like this, we're asking that God, our Father in heaven, who has all power and authority, to lead us out of temptation, to snatch us from the grip of the evil one and his evil ways, and to bring us to himself, to to draw us closer to himself. Now there are so many great reasons to pray lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil and prayers like it but, but I want to just focus on one of them with the remaining time that we have. I want to also encourage you to consider your own prayers. So often, and I, I think this is true of most of us, our prayers can become kind of this, this grocery list. And most of them, I was talking with a, a, a brother and we were talking about our tendency personally, but then also as a church to kind of default to, to the material, to the physical. You know, yes, we need to be praying for healing. It's a great prayer to be praying. Yes, we, we can and we should be praying about work and this and wisdom here and whether we should move there or buy this house or not buy the, this car and, keep on putting money into the car that's breaking down, all those those things. We should be bringing to the Lord in prayer. But are we not praying as we should prayers like this? Lord, protect me. And not just physically, but spiritually. Lead me out of temptation. Draw me from the grips. Snatch me out from the grips of the devil who I'm for some reason being drawn to. Keep me focused on Jesus. Open my eyes. Wake me up. Are you praying this type of prayer? If not, I hope that you will see how good and right it is to pray these things, church, and that you will begin praying for God's help and temptation and his protection from evil, that you will see that, and you will, by the Spirit's working in your heart as you read God's word, be led to pray more frequently, more biblically. As you're faced with temptations throughout your life, that you go to him in prayer, that you, you ask for his help and protection, because it's going to benefit you But it's also going to benefit this church. We need to be praying prayers like this together. And here's here's what I want to focus on. Why should we be praying prayers like this? Because when we truly pray prayers like this, God, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It means that we are dependent on God for protection. Not ultimately the government not ultimately the army, the navy, the military, whatever, not, not on our security systems, not on whatever worldly means God may use to protect us, but that we are depending when we pray prayers like this on God for his protection. To say it another way, it means that we are trusting actively in that moment in the Lord to provide what we need spiritually. The one who believes that they are strong enough to overcome temptation on their own and that they won't ever fall, or at least that that they won't ever fall that far, is full of spiritual pride and is in serious danger. They have an inflated view of themselves and a wrong view of the Christian life. Yes, they have been justified if they are truly a Christian, but they continue to need Jesus. They continue to need to go to the Father for strength and energy and to persevere and to make it through the dangers and the trials and the temptations that they will face. The one who is like this, who is puffed up spiritually, who is who is who is leaning into themselves for for strength and not the Lord, they are like David in the hours leading up to his committing adultery with Bathsheba. They're like like Peter in the days leading up to the cross who refused to believe that he would ever deny Christ only to deny him three times after Jesus died and as Jesus was being betrayed. The one who is full of pride and is self-dependent has no use for a prayer like, God lead me not into temptation but deliver me from evil. Why would they pray that prayer? They don't need to pray that prayer in their minds because they're strong enough on their own. However, church, we must remember that apart from God's grace in Christ, we would be sinners deserving of eternal judgment. And though we have been redeemed, forgiven, and reconciled to our God, we remain always completely dependent on God. That never ends. We're always dependent on God. We do not outgrow our continual need for our Heavenly Father. Being independent, spiritually speaking, is not a sign of maturity. It's a sign of immaturity. It means that that person is looking inward, trusting in their own abilities. Yes, they started with Christ, but now they think that the Christian life continues apart from Christ. They have been united to Christ, but they're not looking into and trusting in their union with Christ by grace through faith. They're trusting in their own strength. In First Corinthians ten twelve through 13 Paul writes, affirming these things, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. That's what we're praying for when we pray prayers like this. And here Paul warns the person who is overconfident and self-trusting while also assuring us Christians that we can overcome temptation and not give in to sin. But look at how Paul answers that. Who he points us to. What he points us to. Paul says it's the faithfulness of God. It's because God is faithful. Our Father in heaven will not leave us to ourselves in temptation. That's the answer. It's not look inward. It's not trust in yourself. It's not try harder. It's look to God. Trust in God. Remember his promises. Fight your sin with the the grace and, and mercy that comes in Christ. God will not say, hey, son, daughter who I've adopted, give it your best shot. Let's see what happens. He will not say that to the one who he sent Jesus to save by sending Jesus to his own death, to redeem us. He's not going to say that to us. We're too precious to our Father in heaven to say such a thing, to, to do such a thing. Yes, God will test us, but he will always provide us with a way to escape temptation so that we do not have to succumb to it and sin. But the ones who are looking inward who are trusting in their own strength, who think they just have to believe in themselves enough that then they can do it and and, and they'll be able to overcome some temptation. Well, the reality is that they can overcome some temptations in their own strength for a time, maybe, but eventually they will fall and when they do, they will fall hard. The answer for the Christian is that we must look outside of ourselves and look up to our Father in heaven. And Christian, when you pray a prayer like, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, that's what you're doing. You're saying, I can't handle this. This is too heavy. This is too hard. This temptation is is coming on strong. I am weak. I am uh, apart from you, Father, carrying me through this, making a way to escape. I'm stuck. But in Christ, I have strength. In Christ, I can overcome this. And I need you, Father, to provide what I am lacking and so when we pray these things, that's what's happening. That's what we're praying. We're looking to our Heavenly Father, asking for his help, fleeing to the cross for cover and pleading for the Lord to lead us out of temptation and to rescue us from the world, the flesh, and the devil. This is a powerful prayer. And it's right here in, in this, this prayer that many of us have kind of, yeah, that's great, memorized it maybe in, in Sunday school, but, but I'm on to bigger and better. no. Look, look what we're praying when we pray this prayer, individually and together as a church. In my studies this week, I, I came across a story in Fox's Book of Martyrs. Many of you are hopefully familiar with Fox's Book of Martyrs. It's this collection of stories uh, written long ago and, and since has been added to, so it's Fox's continuing Book of Martyrs now, I guess. And, and this, book, this book contains stories of those who, pastors, preachers, teachers, um, Christians, just men and women like all of us who were killed because of, of their faith in Christ. Well, there's a story that, that illustrates the importance of humility and being reliant on God when tempted. And it also includes a portion of of this prayer from the Lord's Prayer. The story is about two men who lived during the reign of, of Mary I, who is the Queen of England and Ireland from 1553 th- through 1558. Now, if you're familiar with church history, this was a pretty brutal time for Protestants, especially in England. This is a, a really brutal time uh, for what, what we might call the evangelical, the, the one who believes that, that, that Christ alone is our hope, that, that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, as revealed in Scripture alone. Those teachings were, were, were opposed. And Mary was on the front lines of opposing those who believe these things. So much so that Mary was later given the name, and and I I guess it's a nickname, though I don't think she'd appreciate it. Uh, She was called later on Bloody Mary, because during her short time on the throne, she had in total around 300 Christians who refused to follow the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church, executed by being burned at the stake. The two men in this story were found guilty of being what today we would call evangelical or Protestant Christians, and both were condemned to burn at the stake for their convictions unless they recanted and denied the true gospel. They both refused and so they were sent to prison to wait for their execution. The first man boasted to the other prisoners that he would be a real man when he approached his death. That he was so grounded in the gospel that he, would, he, he could never imagine denying Christ. Even on the day of his execution, he confidently spoke about his imminent death, saying that that he was like a bride made ready for the wedding day. The second man was, was very different. Although he too was determined not to deny Christ, he admitted to the other prisoners that he was terribly fearful of fire. He also shared with them that he had always been throughout his life very sensitive to suffering. He was not a strong man. And he was deeply concerned that when the flames came near his body, he would cry out, recant, and deny his Lord. So he pleaded with the first man who was so confident uh, that, that he prayed for him. And, and he spent much of his time waiting to be martyred, weeping over his weakness and crying out to God for strength. Frustrated and confused by the man's blubbering, the first man rebuked and scolded the second man for being so cowardly. He, he was confused. How could you say such a thing? When they came to the stake, the first man, who had been so bold, recanted at the sight of the fire and was released, and he never returned to Christ. The second man, the weak and the trembling one, whose prayer at that moment had been, Father, lead me not into temptation, stood firm as a rock, praising and magnifying God as he died a cruel but courageous death. Church, this story reveals two different types of faith. The first man's faith was in himself, his ability, his own strength. The second man, the humble one, knew that apart from Christ, he was weak. He was reliant on God's faithfulness to supply him with the strength and the faith that he needed. So rather than look inward, the man looked outward to to God his Father and he was dependent on God, not on himself, to make it through that test and the temptation that he faced. Now it's true that most of us will never face a situation like this and hopefully we'll never have to deal with a person like Bloody Mary. But still, we are to be like the second man in the story and call out to our Father in Heaven and ask Him to lead us out of temptation and to deliver us from evil. This is to be a recurring theme in our prayers, church, because of our relative comfort, because, because of the blessing that it is to be a part of this nation, this, this people, so often this prayer gets set aside until moments of, uh, where we have to pray it, where, where we have no other option but to pray it. Somebody's sick, we're sick, uh, we're, we're fearful that some war is going to break out. Uh, somebody in our family goes to serve in the military, so we feel this more. But this is the reality spiritually. We constantly need God's protection, so why are we not praying for it as often as we should? Christians struggling with temptation, do not try to be strong in your own strength. You are not strong enough on your own, but God is faithful. That's the promise you need to remember. So pray for his help. Ask God to protect you and lead you out of the temptation you're facing. Ask him to keep you on the narrow path that leads to life, that leads to Jesus Christ, and away from the wide path that leads to destruction. When you are tempted by the lie, that there is some greater joy by, by sinning than there can be found in the joy that comes from obeying and following Christ. Call it what it is. It's foolishness. That's a, a lie. That's deception from the devil. Pray, Christian, and keep on praying, even if it doesn't seem to be working at first. I have personally and with so many other Christians seen this. They're, they're struggling with a temptation. It's hard, it's heavy, they're facing it day after day after day. It seems like they cannot overcome it. But but they go to the Lord in prayer and, and he carries them through the the, the 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 movement is slow at first, but but the Lord continues to answer that prayer and bring them through and then they they see over time how God has freed them from the grips of that temptation and they did not succumb to it and they find great joy and preciousness in Christ and the gospel through it. That is to be our aim. We are to do these things. Pray, pray, pray. Even when it doesn't seem to be getting easier, God is using our prayers of dependency on him to align our hearts and to focus us on Christ. We go to him in prayer and we say things... uh, Father, this is, this is happening. My heart's going this way. It's away from your will. I, I know that this would be sin. Please protect me. Guide me. Remind me of the, the, the greatness of Christ. What happens in that prayer? God uses it to to correct our hearts, to fix our eyes back on Jesus, our Savior, who went to the cross to free us from sin, from destruction, from pain, and all that comes of the consequences of sin. Yes, we've been justified. Yes, we will not lose our salvation because we are Christ. He has purchased us. Every single one that Christ has won is his forever. And yet there's great hardship and sorrow that comes in sin. And so we fight it with the gospel. Whatever the temptation is, whether it be to cheat on a test on your taxes or on your spouse, whether it be that you're tempted by money, if you're tempted to lie, if you're tempted to escape from pain through, through alcohol, tempted to sin by, by pursuing fame and popularity, whatever the temptation is, young people tempted to pursue the, the things of this world, whatever it might be, there is no true lasting joy there. So pray that God leads you out and rescues you from evil because he promises he will. He promises. He guarantees. He promises he will if you come to him in faith praying, Father, lead me out of temptation. Deliver me from evil. He will. James 4, 7 and the first part of verse 8. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Church, when we pray this prayer, that's what we're doing. We're drawing nearer to God. We're we're not playing with the devil and his lies. We're, We're addressing them, we're calling them what they are, foolish deception that leads us away from true joy in Christ, and we confront that with the gospel, and we draw near to God in prayer as we pray prayers like this. So pray them. Don't play games when you're tempted. I can do this. I'll handle that later. I'll pray in five minutes. No, pray right then. You click on something that you know is going to lead you away from the Lord, right there. Turn off the computer. Shut it down. Don't throw it out the window, but think about it. And pray, God, lead me away from temptation. There is no joy here. You're tempted to, to give up the things that God has called you to pursue. I'm talking about joy and holiness, obedience, pursuing more of Christ for the things of this world, for worldliness. No, no. Pray, Lord, I'm being tempted by worldliness. I know it's foolishness, but my heart is leading me astray. Father, you have, you have given me a new heart. Lead me back to you. Don't play games. Pray. If you're a Christian Or if today or tomorrow you become one because God grants you repentance and faith and you turn from sin and trust in Christ because of this glorious union that you now have with Christ. Though you will experience hardship, though at times you will not pass the test and at times you will succumb to the temptation. This is a battle of fight. The war has been won, but there's battles to fight and sometimes it looks like we're losing. The reality is that in Christ, ultimately you will in the end overcome. First John 5.5 5. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So why so often are we trying to overcome the world in our own strength? Looking inward, looking to the things of man, trusting in someone or something besides Jesus, it is foolishness and it will only do us and the church harm. It is God that we are to look to, church. God. Though you will die unless Christ returns first, if you are in Christ, you will be delivered from evil and you will be safely delivered to your Father in heaven. Though Christ triumph over death, through Christ triumph over death, you too will triumph over death. 1 Corinthians 15, 21-26. This, this great text that we so often go to rightly on Easter. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. Hebrews 4.15 tells us that Jesus was tempted just as we are and he never gave into temptation. Satan could not get Jesus to sin. Jesus proved himself to be perfect, righteous, and without sin, to be the perfect Lamb of God who takes away our sin. In the garden, the night before he went to the cross, Jesus prayed three times a very similar prayer to lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Do you remember his prayer? Jesus asked God the Father over and over again to spare him from the testing and the temptation that he was about to face and to deliver him from evil. Now he passed the test. He didn't give in to the temptation to call upon the legion of angels to shut it all down and to stop his death. But he was delivered over to evil because it was the Father's will. And Christ submitted to the Father's will, saying, Your will be done. Church, here's the gospel reality because Jesus never failed and was delivered up to evil for our sins, he, because of what he has done, we who have failed but trust in Christ alone will be delivered to God. He was delivered to evil so that we would be delivered to God. And because of this, we can pray. Lead us, not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And prayers like it with confidence, knowing that he hears them because of Christ's finished work. What a glorious gospel truth for us to end, not just this sermon, but this series of sermons on prayer. Through our time in the Lord's Prayer, we have been taught how to pray, or maybe reminded, refreshed on how we should be praying. We are to pray in such a way that aligns our hearts, our minds, our wills, our prayers with God and his word. Friends, I hope you have seen how using the Lord's Prayer and other prayers in scripture provide us with a God-given guide to keep us from shallow, frivolous, surface-level, man-centered prayers and help us to pray more and more prayers that are God-centered, Christ-exalting, spirit-driven, biblical prayers. My hope, my prayer, is that God would would use our time thinking about prayer, these these teachings, these sermons on prayer in the coming weeks, months, and years to increase our prayerfulness as a church that we as a church would become more and more fully dependent on God. Now I'd like to close this sermon like I did two Sundays ago uh, when we close by reciting the Lord's Prayer together from Matthew 6, 9-13. through 13. And then after we recite it together, I'll close uh, in, in extended prayer. So please join me in praying the Lord's Prayer from Matthew 6, 9-13. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Yes, Father, we pray this prayer with your people throughout all of history, rejoicing in its goodness We long for the day when you return and your kingdom fully is realized. But until that day, Father, help us to be fully dependent on you and not on ourselves, to look to Christ, to enjoy Christ, to trust in him and him alone. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.